Welcome to Which Game First, where we explore the hilariously huge world of board games. Did we find any hidden treasures you've been missing out on? Let's find out. First up this week, we go for the Danish modern look while constructing a city in Copenhagen. Next up, we head to Tuscany to design the perfect vineyard in Viticulture. And lastly, we travel north for a game of combat and survival in Arctic Scavengers. I'm your host, Celeste Angelis, here with my decades-long gaming buddies, Evan Bernstein. Hello, everyone. Ed Povolitis. Hi, guys. And Mike Grenier. Yabba-dabba-doo. <laughs> Our first game up this week is Copenhagen, designed by Asger Harding Grenier and Daniel Skilled. Peterson. How'd I do, Mike? Not too bad. Not too bad. (laughs) Published by Queen Games in 2019. Number of players 2 to 4, ages 8 and up. Playtime 20 to 40 minutes. Okay, Mikey, tell us what's in this box. The cover of the box shows the colorful and inviting cityscape of Copenhagen. Complete with towers, spires, domes, and lots and lots of windows. Inside, you'll find 46 Tetris-esque tiles, 20 modification tiles, 4 player boards, and 4 wooden pawns, as well as a scoring plaque with a side for like storing the cards and a large stack of building goal cards. And that's what's in the box. Well, before we... T- Tell you how well we coped with this game, Evan. Please piece together some rules for us. Copenhagen, or Copenhagen if you prefer, it's a card and tile placement game where you are designing the latest and greatest building in the famous Danish city. Players in turn will either draw two cards from the six available face-up cards, or they will trade in cards from their hand to take and place the building tiles. The tiles, as Mike said, are Tetris-shaped. To score points, you're going to complete rows and columns. And to gain bonuses, you're going to complete your rows and columns with all windows. Simple. First player to 12 points wins, or if the Lone Mermaid card is drawn, the game stops (laughs) and the highest score wins. And the winner receives receives title to a new building in Copenhagen, which is guaranteed, and this is not a guarantee. So. <laughs> and there are no guarantees. <laughs> disclaimer. Nice disclaimer, Ev. Yeah, well, you know, I, I checked it with legal first before I ran mm-hmm. that. They said yeah, right. to put that in. Uh, what, I mean, why else would we have them on retainer, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. like this. And Joe says hi, everyone. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Coincidentally. <yeah>. Well, <laughs> you... Uh, we played this game on Board Game Arena, mm-hmm. and uh, what did we think of the look of the game? I, I want to talk about both the physical game and the on Board Game Arena. So how did it look on Board Game Arena? Anybody? <laughs> well, I'll describe it as clean. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's straightforward. The colors are vibrant, so there's no, you know, there wasn't any confusion. There weren't muted tones that like, okay, what color is this versus that? Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, the shapes of the Tetris tiles, you know, give it that struck that structured look. So mm-hmm. it's a very clean looking game, in my estimation. Hmm. I agree with that. 
I think the pieces too, like even though we didn't play the tabletop version, looking at the pictures in the box, they look like pretty thick and chunky, like good. Yeah, uh, what attracted my eye with acrylic tile. I kind of wanted to play with that to see you know, what, what that would be. Of course, I think that's the deluxe edition. Yeah. Yeah, the original edition definitely looks like it has cardboard pieces, although they do, as Mike said, look chunky. I love Tetris placing games, and there's a lot of them out there now. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I just really like manipulating the the pieces. Did it yeah. feel like there was enough um, opportunity? Because it looks like kind of a small board. So did you feel like there was enough opportunity to manipulate hmm. pieces? There's so many cards versus pieces. Now, one of the things I like hmm. about this Tactics laying game is that actually it required you to build from the bottom up, unlike just some of the tile laying games mm-hmm. where you're just putting them anywhere on the map and then you're trying to just fill in spaces here. Like you had city. to build up. And I think mm-hmm. that was, you know, made it feel a little more Tetrisy to me. I feel like, in my opinion, though, if there's a little bit less Tetrisiness because, like, fitting the actual pieces together wasn't as important as stacking the windows with each other. So sometimes mm-hmm. you would want to lay a piece that would look kind of t- terrible in a regular Tetris game. Janky. It would work really well. Yeah, it looked really <laughs> yeah. janky. And, yeah. So. Yes. And I so like the, the clean symmetry stuff. So, you know. So as you said, Evan, the goal is to have as many windows as possible or to have the windows lined up? Yes, lined up in both columns and rows. Bonus points for completing right. entire rows and columns of windows, which is... Uh, easier said than done. At least that's what, what I found. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you have to have the right color or the right card combination to get the correct shape tile that you're looking for. Not all colors have the same shapes. If you understand what I mean. Mm-hmm. So a a, th- yeah. a four a four space yellow is not the same design as the four space blue. So you have to be conscious of your colors as well as the actual shapes that you're going for in yeah, order to achieve right. what it is you're looking to do. Because you're, uh, as well as the bonus point from doing the windows, and I know I was trying to do that too, because yay, bonus point. You're also mm-hmm. trying to get different size areas of color. So you're you're fighting both because you're not, now the piece you need to get the color grouping you want might not have the windows you need to do the perfect row. Mm-hmm. And that was so painful. It was like, that was painful. Mine did, yeah. but it missing one little window. <laughs> one more window. There's also, unlike Tetris, there's like, instead of just four pieces for, for each one, there's three, two, and five even mm-hmm. shaped pieces in there. Um. So there, there are some pieces you're not quite used to seeing in regular Tetris, and it might throw your brain off if you played too much Tetris. That's true. <laughs> And the pieces definitely force you to make choices because you'll notice all of the pieces are missing a window somewhere. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. right. Right. Okay. Yes. So there's never a piece with all windows. Right. Correct. Mm-hmm. That. So it's yeah, always going to leave that. you a spot that you're going to have to work around. Right. Inefficiency. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Make, <laughs> it definitely makes some pieces more desirable to have face up. And then other ones to be like laid sideways, just because of the way they uh, they stack. Now there are, there are special spots on your board if you cover those spots specifically or complete a row that contains a special symbol. You get bonuses, and the bonuses mm-hmm. could be, uh, you know, just uh, extra extra point configurations um, that that get unlocked for you, 
or the individual single window spots, which are great for mm. filling in that one perfect spot you need, which is otherwise blocked by all your other pieces. Mm-hmm. Now, Ed, you say that it's a race for points. Do you mean that points go away once somebody gets them? Or... Mm-hmm. Well, I, I mean, it's the, the, the first to get 12. It's like, okay. oh, you got 12 points, yeah. you win. I gotcha. But also there's yep. limited... Uh, shapes you know what i mean like it, like certain shapes and certain window configurations are limited so two people get one and that's it there's no more for that one in some mm-hmm. cases yep so yep it is a race to get the right piece but also you kind of have to plan ahead a little bit you know you don't want to just take a piece because it's the last one i mean it might not be super helpful to you at the moment so there's a lot of couple turns ahead planning to get those bonus points but if it's going to prevent Ed from scoring seven extra points, I may just yep. suck it up, take Might that one tile it. away from him and say, no, no, sir. Not that today, a, sir. <laughs> that is a tough but necessary decision that needs to be made sometimes. How to block Ed from stealing all the points. I don't know how necessary <laughs> it is, honestly. Uh, <laughs> Ed disagrees. Yeah. Shocker. So how did the playtime feel? Did it feel like the right amount of playtime? Now, on Board Game Arena, it's going to do the scoring for you, which can, and also some of the organizational pieces, so it may speed it up um, quite a bit. But how did it feel for pacing? Hmm. It didn't, I mean, it didn't seem like it took too long, but, you know, like the, it was the same activity for most of the game, so I think it could have been a little shorter. I, mean, I think the... Board Game Arena really helps it in the sense you don't have any of the fiddling. Well, you, you have a little bit of the interface just figuring <laughs> out how to rotate it just right mm-hmm. in a little bit. But I think once you get past that, mm-hmm. it you know, it puts everything on display for you. You don't have to organize them. You just go click, click, mm-hmm. next. <laughs> I can yep. see it being fairly fast if you know the game well. Now, we, now when our first playthrough, sometimes we fumble around a little bit. Sometimes. You know? <laughs> We're guilty. Yeah. Like all the time. Yes. <laughs> well. Okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury Copenhagen. Mike? Even though this game is kind of more going on than a regular Tetris game, I felt somehow it was less replayable for me than Tetris. <laughs> uh, each game's going to be different, I think, but um, I didn't really <laughs> feel an, like an escalation of the excitement in this game. It just kind of stayed level the whole time for me, so I have to bury it. Evan? I thought Copenhagen was easy to learn and it was easy to play. It was a pretty good Gateway game for tile building games. Simple. Uh, not terribly dynamic, but I still had fun, so I'll dig it up. Ed? Copenhagen is easy game to learn and play. Maybe not exactly a super exciting theme, but the hmm. race for the points keep your eyes on what the other opponents are doing. And I'll dig this up as an easy tile laying game. Well, if you have thoughts about Copenhagen or you want to let us know what your favorite city-based game is, we would love to hear from you. We are at Which Game First on all social media and Discord. Our next game up this week is Viticulture Essential Edition, designed Mm. by Jamie Stegmeier and Alan Stone, published by Stonemeyer Games in 2013. Number of players 1 to 6, ages 14 and up. Playtime, 
45 to 90 minutes. Okay, Mikey, tell us what's in the lovely box. All right. On the cover of the box, two contented vintners gaze upon their latest crop of luscious grapes in front of their lush and thriving vineyard. All right, hold on to your uh, hold on to your baskets here, guys, because there's a lot of stuff in here. All right, I'll get comfortable. <laughs> get cozy. <laughs> Inside the box, we find a game board, six vineyard mats, forty-two vine cards, thirty-six wine order cards, thirty-eight summer visitor cards, thirty-eight winter visitor cards, eighteen field cards, twenty-four automa cards, thirty-six pink and blue cards. 30 wooden worker meeples, 6 wooden grande worker meeples, grande, 48 glass grape and wine tokens, 6 wooden wake-up tokens, 6 wooden victory point tokens, 6 wooden residual payment tokens, 48 wooden structure tokens, 72 cardboard lira, and a first player token. And that's what's in the box. Well, before we tell you if this game turned out to be vintage or just sour grapes, Evan, give us a sip of the rules. All right. In Viticulture, the players find themselves in the roles of people in rustic pre-modern Tuscany who have inherited meager vineyards. And they have a few plots of land, an old crush pad, a tiny cellar, and three workers. Each player has a dream of being the first to call their winery a true success. So this is a worker placement game. There are four seasons in the game, each with its own feature, which will either open up or limit the types of tasks that the workers can perform. The middle spaces of each action confer a bonus for that worker. Those are popular spaces, trust me. And as Mike mentioned, each player gets a grande worker. (laughs) who can take a space even if it's occupied by another player. Very important. Mm -hmm. Workers are placed accordingly on the game board, but you also have a personal vineyard board. This vineyard board is where you will make upgrades and improvements to your vineyard. There are three types of cards in the game, wine order cards, visitor cards, and vine cards. Visitors are split into summer visitors and winter visitors. Remember, it's about the seasons in this game. We're going to talk more about the rules as we go forward, but I'll tell you this. The first player to 20 victory points triggers the end of the game. And after all final actions are resolved, the player with the most points wins. And you win when you win in the world of wine games. You have to say you crushed it. (laughs) You crushed it. I like that. (laughs) I think you can say that another time, too. But yeah. Yeah, this is the most specifically with wine. You crushed it. Yeah. With wine games. You crushed it. Yeah. Well, now I know that we have a physical version of this game, but we also played it on Board Game Arena. Mm-hmm. How do you, Evan? How do you think it looked on BGA? Great, yeah, this is a good-looking game. I think either way, and even though I didn't play the one in person, Ed, I know you've got the copy uh, of the of the physical game. I thought it's one of the better-looking games on on Board Game Arena overall. Oh, definitely wow. very representative of the board game translates very well oh, yeah. to board game arena yes mm. yeah bga does a really good job of representing they have the the right shape pieces they got mm-hmm. the graphics i imagine the graphics are coming from the publishers and, and it, it does feel like since it's a worker placement you are putting little you know worker pieces on the, the digital board and taking the actions and you're seeing all the little tracks move and you have little cards so 
yeah, I have the physical version, and, and you know, I do prefer that, but it's pretty good on BGA. Mm. Yeah, definitely takes some of the fiddle out of it. <laughs> That's because there could be it could be a little messy on in person. And I think I when I played it a long time ago, I remember there being some a good amount of bits on the board. But uh, yeah, it took care of where you can place things and mm-hmm. you know uh, the mess itself on BGA, which is great. Now let's talk about the Grande Worker. All right, so this concept, the Grande Worker, is mm-hmm. um, it's a general concept in Euro gaming, right, Ed? I've seen it in other games. The Grande Worker, Mike? Yeah, no, the, I've seen the Grande Worker in a couple games before, too. Um, I, I kind of wonder, like, <clears throat> like, I know that it's just a mechanism to be able to take the space, but, like, who is this Grande Worker? <laughs> who is this guy? He shows up and everybody, like, gets out of his way. Is he like, a bully? Is he, like, yeah, is he a bully? Is he big and strong? Or is he just like have a lot of influence in the community? Like, who is this grande? Uh, mercenary that you hire or something. Yeah. <laughs> right. like professional. I'm here to crush grapes. You got anything <laughs> to say about that? <laughs> no, he he crush VIP. He has the, uh, you know, all ashes badge. I get <laughs> yeah, right. VIP badge, right? For the winery. Oh, yeah. It is a good, it's mechanically, nice it's very useful to have something like that so people no, don't get completely so shot out. They almost always save him for last just in case they are like, oh, in case I get blocked mm-hmm. out of something, I want to mm-hmm. have him to be able to do that thing that Mikey took from me. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Now, does this Grande, I've seen Grande workers work in two ways. They either sit with the other workers on the piece or they kick everybody out. Did this one kick everybody out? All the other workers off the... I think no. this one's shared, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It occupy. It can simply occupy a space that's already been uh, chosen by another worker. All right. So, so not we'll a total the, jerk. Yeah. No. We'll call this the charismatic uh, grande. <laughs> <laughs> Someone will be the bully. The bully will kick him out. And then this one will be the charismatic. It, sh- it shares the space. So, Mike, I saw that you thought that um, the opportunity to make high-value wines was tempting. Tell us, tell us about that. Mm. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's it, part of the problem with that is that you got to wait to see like different orders that you might be able to make that have a higher value on them. But like that goes, there's quite a range of what you could make, and well, you're, you're kind of one of the functions of the game and what you're doing is that you're letting your wines like age a little bit. And then those wines are more valuable for bigger contracts. You know right. what I mean? So you're selling them later. And you, you got to be careful. You know, you don't want to let them go too far. It's not that they turn to vinegar or something, but like mm-hmm. you lose a lot of time waiting for those wines to mature. Right. There's only so much time in the game. So mm-hmm. that's tempting. Mm-hmm. But just by oh, doing yeah. nothing, big wines get better. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, I, I got trapped for sure. Ooh. So this game requires patience. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm kind of glad Patience that I didn't have a chance to play then. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't even invited, Celeste. <laughs> well, that's a little bit of the push-pull there where you are you can try to churn through lots of wine and get lots of no, small victory point cards, mm-hmm. or you can try to build up and get the, the, the mega point by trying to get that one big mm-hmm. valuable wine victory point mm-hmm. card. It's and tough. it's going to depend a little bit on the card you have in hand. So that yeah. talks to Evan's point of quantity versus quality. Is that right, Ev? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. A- yeah. Absolutely. Um, tough choices? I went, I, yeah, well, I, I, the, the choices are, are really good in, in this game. You can approach this m- multiple different ways. And something I think I lacked in my strategy, and when I go back and play it again, hopefully, um, 
uh, I'll try I'll try it is is to is to improve my vineyard more to to get it to to just a higher production and higher quality level in which uh, in, in which the wines that I'm putting out I'm going to be able to actually sell for for a higher mm-hmm. for a higher price. Um, I don't think I paid enough attention to the quality of my of, of improving my vineyards enough to to mm-hmm. get to a point where I could keep up with uh, with Mikey and Ed. But it was my first time playing, yeah. so you know you learn these things first first time <laughs> through, and then okay, all right, now I understand what what really has mm-hmm. to be done. Um, and, I kind of oh go ahead Ed sorry no sorry it's uh it's also not only is it the quality of the wine that you have to pay attention to but the types of grapes. You can plant, mm. you know, the red grapes or the white grapes, and you can make red wine, you know. Who would plant uh, white wine rose? or rosé? <laughs> so the mixtures, and it's going to depend on what cards you have, which ones you want to go mm-hmm. for. And, mm-hmm. you know, the wine that require that you have both, it's going to be more work to make. You're going to have to mm-hmm. grow two types of wine. You have to come, then, you know, put them together and age them all. But mm-hmm. there's more points behind them. Mm. True. There's one thing I want to <clears throat> say about this game in particular, but also other games that kind of follow in its footsteps, is that there are certain things that you can't do until you do some things before them. So, for example, you can't make wine until you have grapes. You can't have grapes until you have the field. You know what I mean? So mm. when the cards come up through randomness, even if everybody's on the same you know, equal footing to start with, sometimes your draw is just bad. You know, you have the... You have winter actions in your hand, and mm. it doesn't allow you to do the yes. summer actions, which leads you to do the winter actions. So there's a lot of more luck of the draw in this game, even though we're all drawing from the same deck. But you do have a little bit of way to control that. Mm. You can take actions to draw specifically southern, uh, sorry, summer cards or mm-hmm. winter cards. Yes. Mm. Yep. And you now we start off with one of each, and then you're gonna have to like, oh, do I want more summer stuff, or do I want more winter stuff, <laughs> or so yeah. you have a little bit of choice of which way you want to go. True. So, Mike, you yep. say this game is tight. It's tight. The resources are tight because you, you, <laughs> there's a lot of things you have to choose between doing. You know, it's not just like pick grapes and now it's like step three profit. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you have to use your yeah. <laughs> you have to get the most action economy you can in this game because you know you got to mm-hmm. plant them, grow them, pick them. Mm-hmm. Brew them, you know. So, mm-hmm. it, so you have to choose wisely as and pick your battles. Because I ended up having an amazing set of potential wines, uh-huh. but I didn't have any customers <laughs> to buy them at the very last turn. Yeah, seasonal you know? customers too. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I mean, I was set up to make a fortune in the last turn, and Ed was like, "Let's just shut it down," as he often does to me. <laughs> <laughs> he sees the future, and he goes, "Nope." This is not going to work. If I wait one more turn, it's going to be a wrap. So, and how dare Ed's you pay attention? You. Yeah, to he's on to you, Mike. You're going to have oh, to change up your strategy. You gotta I mean, it works sequence. half the time. That's why I don't change it. <laughs> Sometimes it works, but it really hurts. When it when it works, I like blow out the score. When it doesn't work, it looks like I did absolutely nothing for the entire game. <laughs> okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury viticulture. Ed? I enjoy worker placement games while making wine to your tra- I'm sorry. Impress your credits. Hmm. I'll dig this up as a nicely aged wine with hints of sage and almonds. <laughs> sage. <laughs> Evan? 
Viticulture, it checks all the worker placement game boxes. And I like the twist about the seasons and the seasonal visitors specifically. It really helps dictate a plan that you're going to go forward with. But there's still plenty of paths to take to victory. I raise a glass to this one. Take it up. <laughs> Mike? This game gave me some opportunities to make big, epic scores. Uh, there's a touch of luck of the draw and tightness that I don't love generally. But I think uh, I would put the squeeze on this game one more time. <laughs> Dig it up. Well, we'd like to know what wine you prefer with board gaming. <laughs> or what board games featuring wine you like. Let us know. We are at which game first on all social media. Mm-hmm. Our last game up this week is Arctic Scavengers, designed by Robert K. Gabhart, published by Rio Grande. Games in 2009, number of players 2 to 5, ages 12 and up, playtime 45 to 60 minutes. (gasps) Mike, tell us what's in the chili box. On the cover of the box, an ice ninja sits menacingly among his scattered horde of deadly weapons and tools in a shattered, post-apocalyptic Arctic ruin. Inside, we discover a junkyard mat, a contested resources mat, an initiator card, 147 playing cards, as well as an expansion of 49 additional cards, an engineering schematics mat, and a storage cover. And that's what's in the box. Well, before we tell you if this game gave us the chills, Evan, thaw out some rules. Arctic Scavengers is a competitive deck-building game where you are in a struggle for survival in a futuristic, post-apocalyptic ice age. (laughs) Fun. Everyone draws five cards from their starting deck. Then you play cards for the following actions. Draw, dig, hunt, and hire. And players can play as many cards as they want, but only one type of card or one type of action per turn. Discard a card after it's used up. There are two main types of cards, people and tools. Now, if you have any unplayed cards, you hold those for the skirmish round. In the skirmish round, you're gonna compare the total values of the cards that you kept in your hand, and the winner gets a resource card added to your discard pile, which you'll eventually shuffle in and make use of as the game goes on. That's it. Players with the largest tribe at the end is the lone survivor, and they get to live in paradise all alone in a world grown cold. Frosty paradise. Yeah, kind of. A- yay, yay. Okay, so we you played this on Board Game Arena. Um, one of the things about Board Game Arena that I noticed is games that feature cards the cards can sometimes get lost, uh, even though they're very uh, board game arena is very loyal to the actual artwork. Still, feels sometimes like you're not really experiencing the cards. What did you guys think? Um, I mean, post apocalyptic looking cards and stuff. I often feel like it's hard for them to really differentiate from each other a little bit. You know, it's because the color scheme is so muted that everything mm-hmm. starts looking the same. They did have the utility, at least, of, oh, I can just look at the edge and see all the symbols there. And if you're just looking for symbols, you know, looking for the facts, you can find the facts. That's true. That is nicely laid out. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, some of the cards in this, uh, I actually like, right? And you're right, Mike. Post-apocalypse cards can start to look a little 
depressing if nothing else mm-hmm. right oh, yeah, yeah. Um, sure. but i actually like when i'm looking at the physical cards i do like the artwork on the cards they look well drawn and actually yeah. that they tell a story yeah you know like there's a picture They're- of a guy uh, laying in wait you know an mm-hmm. archer laying in wait to snipe somebody and some people getting ready to looks like maybe go spelunking or try to find something somebody mm-hmm. climbing a rope so it's all action based and they're interesting to me yeah so definitely i wonder if the physical game might have provided a little bit more excitement in that regard yeah, um i mean i thought like i i think you're spot on with that celeste like the, there is at least enough to let you tell your story about what's happening in this post-apocalyptic world so they did a good job with that as best they could i think mm, okay so, Ed, you say this game has a lot of fighting for the loot. What do you mean? Yes, there's that you know, hidden pile of stuff. Um, and it can have the best cards or just okay cards in there. <laughs> yeah. And you have to make a decision. Am I going to spend the resources I have to get these things I can just buy? Mm-hmm. Or do I secretly send some of these things out on a mission to fight with the other players to get the secret loot pile. That's the skirmish. And it's kind of a grim loser situation where I can spend all those resources, but if mm-hmm. Mikey spent one more than me, all yeah. those resources are for naught. Yep. Mm. Absolutely. Grim losers auction right mm. there. Yeah. And at the beginning of the game, because we're all obviously starting with the same starter deck, you can kind of get a sense, okay, Here's what he played. Here's what he's got in his hand. I can. I have a good gauge as to whether or not I can win that skirmish round or not. But you get a couple rounds into this game, and the deck starts get changing and stuff. You yep. quickly sort of lose. Be able, you can't keep track of that anymore. Yep. So does it benefit you to just be flexible, wait your turn, and see what you've got at that moment? Is that is that does it limit planning ahead? Uh, I mean, it's it's like any other deck builder. You know, you got to deal with the hand you've been dealt. So, you know, you can plan ahead in in the early game, especially if you've built your deck in a certain way that you have an idea of what's going to still be coming. Because an important thing that happens in this game, and I I mean, I can't stress this enough. It's so important that you can actually get rid of some of your cards without having to have a special card to do it with. You can thin your deck out so you can really. Oh, yeah, you can keep thinning it. So, like. It gives you the opportunity to know exactly what cards are going to be left in your deck and like what potential draws you're going to have. So you should definitely, I mean, you can't make it too thin or you'll just be throwing away all your victory points and all the cards that I can actually do stuff. But if you keep just the right amount, looking at what's on the table available to buy and, you know, make it so that you can go through most of that deck. I mean, I got to a point where I didn't have to plan at all. I was drawing my entire deck every (laughs) turn. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. So. And there's also an advantage to being the last player in turn order where you can see how many resources or at least how many cards people mm-hmm. put towards getting the loot pile. Mm-hmm. And if you're mm-hmm. like, well, no, Mikey just said, eh, and Evan put one card towards it, and I'm, uh, maybe I have a chance of fighting it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and the cards in that deck are similar to the cards that you play in your normal starting cards or the ones you buy but they all almost all of them are superior to the their other versions of them yeah so i know it's worth winning them it's, and i yeah, know noticed- it is and I, i'm afraid it might get into a little bit of a runaway situation where hmm. if one person had been con- constantly winning the loot battle mm-hmm. all their cards are better because 
now they they got better versions of the cards in there. There's more victory points in there. Mm-hmm. It's like, uh, and you don't necessarily even know what they want. Right. You don't yeah. know what they got like, because it's been hit. It was hidden. So, you yeah. Know. <laughs> well, I noticed there's a lot of symbology on the cards. Was it? Mm-hmm. But they seems relatively clear. Was it okay to manage? I thought for the most part the symbology worked, except I, I can't remember exactly which one it was, but there was one symbol that meant one thing in one spot and a, a similar oh. symbol, which kind of meant something similar, but not the same in another spot. It was like mm. dig and fight or something. It was like a crossed shovel and sword or something like that or gun. And yeah, that that was the only one that kind of tripped me up a little bit. But for the most part, there's only a few symbols you need to know, you know, and they and they all refer to the the stage of your turn that you're on. So, like, the shovel is for digging into the trash pile, which is mm-hmm. cards that aren't necessarily great, but there are victory points, like, splashed into there, and it's kind of something that you can do for free if you have a bunch of shovel cards laying around. Um, personally, I avoided that pile like the plague because I was trying to keep a nice tight deck. But Yeah, but it yeah. sounds like I would avoid yeah. that one, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, what's the purpose of it? What do you think? What would be the strategy where you'd be using that? I, there's some decent stuff in there and you know nobody knows what you're getting out of there so it's it's a way to trick your opponents and get mm. a couple points that they don't know about well, splashing through that deck. could be a way to get an early medic point where you can't yeah. buy easily mm-hmm. that's, that's true right. so there are you no know, like yeah sometimes you find junk but sometimes like hey there's a first aid kit and yeah. i wasn't able to buy that you no know, straight up so now mm-hmm. next time around i can use that first aid kit i dug up to mm-hmm. get something people wouldn't expect is there a it's, game in all of history, right, where the first aid kit isn't the most awesome thing ever? Right? <laughs> like, it right? is always something yeah. that everybody Desirable. is excited. Everyone yeah. wants. I mean, especially in a survival game. I mean, I know, that's like, right. what? Yeah, because the, the, the first aid kit represents kind of like a doctor character for the mm-hmm. most part, you mm-hmm. know? So that's that's one of the most, I mean, when you think about what they value in this game, it's eating food. So mm-hmm. like hunting Duh. and yeah. having a doctor and then having the back to shovel through the trash to find something good. So scavenging, you know what yeah. I mean? Those three things I thought were a good representation of what you'd be doing during the post-apocalyptic times. Yeah. I mean, it's not called Arctic loafers. <laughs> That's right. right. Yeah. There's no television button. There's no, you know. <laughs> yeah. Arctic Amazon shopping. No. <laughs> Arctic deliveries. Yeah. Okay, okay, explorers. It's time to dig up or bury Arctic scavengers. Evan? Arctic scavengers. Um, it for me it wasn't quite an introductory level uh deck builder game, probably more moderate. At the same time, I caught on quickly. And uh so I think the learning curve is accessible. Uh the theme of survivalism is very good. Lots of repl- ro- lots of replayability here. Mm-hmm. And we didn't even touch the expansion rules. We just went with the basics. So I'm looking forward to that someday. D- mm-hmm. All good. Dig it up. Mike? I was definitely in my element here. I mean, this deck builder allowed me to customize my strategy right from the beginning of the game. <laughs> it offered me a variety of different strategic choices and of course, I love deck builders just uh, on their face so yes, you, you know do. it was fun times for me i dig it up <laughs> ed arctic gavenger takes your classic deck builder and adds some nice twist to it by adding new kinds of currency for acquiring cards and you also have that skirmish for the highly sought after loot cards in the middle maybe that can lead to a runaway leader situation 
but it does make this game more interactive than most deck builders. Mm. So I'll dig this up to try to survive in those Arctic wasteland one more time. <laughs> well, what was the most interesting game mechanic you have seen in a deck builder? We really want to know. Maybe we'll talk mm. about deck builders in our panels. Ooh, oh my I gosh. I love that. Let's do it. Part <laughs> I know series. you would. <laughs> Let us know we are at which game first on all social media. And that brings us to the end of our show. We look forward to hearing from you. Please give us a shout out on any social media or Discord. We're there all the time, every day. Come and talk to us. And if you have time, please leave us a like, a rating, a review anywhere on any podcatcher. Anywhere we're talked about, we would love, love, love it. And it would really help other people find the show. Grow, grow, grow. If we grow, that means we can keep doing the show. And you get more episodes. And if you want to become a patron of this show, you will get access to our exclusive patron-only podcast called... Bonus Points. Bonus Points. <laughs> Just go to our website and click on Become a Patron today. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. In the Arctic, no one can hear you freeze. <laughs> this port had just the right hint of nutmeg to play a game of deck building. The frozen north is mine.